focused on Genesis chapter 29. I invite you to follow along in your own copy of the scriptures as I read verses 1 through 35. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled up from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, you should therefore, excuse me, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go in to her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. 
Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I asked Jack if he wanted to cover this passage today, but he said no, so I'm not quite sure why he would say that. <laughs> but, uh, wow, are we sure this is the word of the Lord? Are you sure about that? It is. We're going to find out. We got a lot to cover today. We're going to jump right in today. That's why we kept the kids even a little longer today. We're going to look this morning at this scandalous, it is scandalous, story of deception, of disillusionment, but ultimately deliverance for the unlovable, Leah. We're going to look at the messy, really messy lives of Jacob and, 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 and Rachel and Laban and Leah to discover the providence of God, the discipline of God, and the gospel of God. That's where we're headed today, so grab your outline. Hopefully you got your scripture open. We're going to work through three main points with some subpoints today, but let's begin with Jacob's heart and his desires and God's providence. And that's going to lead us into the deception of point two today. So we're starting with Jacob's heart. And his heart, we're going to see, is like every human heart. His heart is like your heart. It's tempted to place all of its hopes in one place. It's just like your heart and my heart. Why? Because he's a human who's been born into this fallen world. Remember, Jacob's our deceptive main character here. Remember this, let's re real, real quick rehash. The covenant blessing of the Messiah, Jesus, the snake crusher, had come to the Abraham, went to his son Isaac, and then in this strange promise, it was told that God chose the younger son, Jacob, rather than the firstborn Esau, to receive this blessing. If the world would be blessed through Jacob, who's now the main character of the story, through Jacob's family line, through, through his seed, and you remember, he tried to secure the blessing for himself, even though it had been promised to him, by tricking his old blind father into giving it to him rather than Esau, the firstborn. So he flees in desperation to save his life. Esau wants to kill him, maybe understandably. For now he's in exile, and he will have his exodus back to the promised land. But at his lowest point, remember a couple weeks ago, God appeared to him graciously when he was most vulnerable, asleep, to recount in a dream with this ladder from the sky. Do you remember that? And those angels ascending and descending on the ladder and God saying, I'm right next to you, Jacob. Even though your life looks like it's falling apart, I'm hovering over your whole life. See the active angels that do my bidding. I'll be with you and I'll bring you back to the promised land. So it's no surprise when we get back in our story today, Jacob's got like a spring in his step. He just had this vision from God and he goes on his journey, and verse 29 opens up with his way uh, on, or chapter 9 opens up, excuse me, with his way on to the well with a spring in his step. And if you know anything about Genesis and actually about the Bible, when we talk about water, good things tend to happen. Again, at a well, which water is in the Bible is really an Eden image, rivers coming out of Eden. It's a source of life and refreshment. And in Genesis 24, Back in our previous series, Abraham's servant finds Rebekah, that's Jacob's mom, a wife for Isaac, at a well, maybe even the same well, which means we need to begin here. Let's look at the happy and hard providence of God in this life of Jacob. Happy and hard providence. We're going to see in Jacob's life that God is working, that's what providence is, God's care and control, but caring control for his people. He, God is working through both the happy circumstances and the hard ones. As I said, providence is God's control and care combined together for his people. And here we have Jacob with, a, with an instant success as he wakes from the sleeping dream of the ladder. He arrives at the well and he's soon introduced to his cousin, Rachel. Different culture, different time. They married cousins. She's Laban's daughter. Laban's Rachel's sister. That's Jacob's mom. This is happy providence. God has guided Jacob like he did Abraham's servant 
in Genesis 24, maybe to this same well, actually. And God begins to fulfill the promises of the dream. The promises to Abraham and Isaac. You'll have a big family. You'll bless the world. The world will be blessed through you. Kings will come from your line. In fact, the Messiah will come from you. He begins to fulfill the, the, the promises there. Well, here Jacob is contrasted with these lazy shepherds who sit and wait for someone else to take the stone off the well. Jacob comes in with like superhuman strength. You picture him just kind of going over, lifting this stone that the text said would take many men actually to lift or multiple. And he takes it off and he greets Rachel and he waters the flock. He's like Superman, this superhero. And when he sees Rachel, watch out. (laughs) He's smitten. He's taken with her. He greets her, he kisses her, and he cries out. It's like this dramatic, melodramatic, romantic scene from a movie. Everything's going so well. But as we'll see, the hard providence of God comes into Jacob's life too, doesn't it? As we'll meet Laban soon, the deceiving uncle, he begins to be framed as the arch nemesis of of, of Jacob. Remember, this is is a Netflix binge-worthy family tragedy drama that we're getting into here. Laban is this arch nemesis uncle, and Jacob will end up working for Laban for about 20 years, right? 20 years. You thought dating for like a year was tough, right? (laughs) 20 years. And oh, the story with Leah that's coming up. It's tragic. But this love for Rachel, let's talk about it. Here's what we see in Jacob as we're talking about his heart now, providence to his heart. The love of another now for, for, for Jacob, this man, becomes kind of the, the new blessing that Jacob is seeking. The new blessing that he wants, that he needs. His kiss for Rachel. Did you catch that there? Probably wasn't a romantic kiss. Probably was a family greeting. But nevertheless, that kiss for Rachel is the only kiss in all of the Bible that's not for your, a mother or a sister. That's how I used to pastor college kids. I'd say, you know what? Like, if you kiss somebody who's not your, uh, you know, only in the Bible, it's like your mom or your sister or, your, or your, your wife, you know? Outside of that, it's like you're supposed to treat a woman like that. You know, it's your mom or your sister, your wife. That's the only kiss in all the Bible. We're meant to see that he is overwhelmed with love and lust, I would say, and desire. He's lovesick. That's what we're supposed to get here. He's lo- absolutely stricken, smitten, lovesick. And as he meets her father, Laban, the, question, the questions basically posed to him, hey, you know, I would love for you to watch, out, watch my sheep, your family, if I should pay you. Like, what would, the, what would you take? And Jacob basically says to him one word, Rachel. One word, basically. I want Rachel. And he offers to work for seven years. That's like three or four times more than what would have been a normal dowry price at that time. Lovesick. <laughs> we, do, we can do some crazy things for love, can't we? You've probably done some crazy things for love. It seemed like to him, the text says, like the blink of an eye, verse 20 says, or just, just a few days it even seemed like to him. And the text tells us she's beautiful in form and appearance, which means exactly what you think it means. She's beautiful in form and appearance. And when he completes his indentured servitude, we read in verse 21, take a look with me at it. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Slow down, big fella. (laughs) He doesn't sound so polite and he's actually not there. We have Uh, Hebrew translators and commentators that have been very polite to us. They don't really want us to blush at this point as they've translated this probably in most of your Bibles. But it's if Jacob was saying to his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law Laban, there's no please here. He says, give me my wife so I can have sex with her. That's what he's saying. It's been translated so we won't all blush, but I'm trying to make you blush. But I can't see because you have masks on, so I would have no idea. (laughs) I would have no clue. But that's what he says. We are meant to see this as an over-the-top and actually inappropriate display of love, of lust, and emotion, and all the rest. Because in their culture, why did you marry? You married for position, status, and wealth. So he's an absolute anomaly in their day 
but not in ours. Not in ours. Because here we get a man who's absolutely overwhelmed with desire and love for a woman. He's obsessed. What's happening here? What's the author wanting you to know today? Well, we've just seen Jacob filled up with God's presence in that dream, didn't we? We just saw that. But so quickly what the author is doing for us here is portraying a man whose life again feels empty. He was a man who never had his father's love. He lost his mother. He'd never see her again after he flees. She dies. He doesn't fully understand and grasp the love and presence of God in his life. He's got no family inheritance and he finds the most beautiful woman in the world. And it's like every longing of his heart has become fixated on her. Oh, if I could just have her, everything would be okay. If I just had her, my life would be complete. I'd have meaning and purpose, purpose again and significance. And I would go so far as to say redemption even. That's what this woman means to him. And now we bring out this first, this first full point. We bring it full circle here. Jacob's heart is like every human heart. As he is tempted, so we are tempted to take good things, marriage, attraction, love. We're tempted to take good things, though, and make them into God things. If I only had that, if I only had her, if I only had him, you, you fill in the blank. You fill it in for yourself. He's an anomaly in their age. But in our day and age, we shouldn't be surprised that this would even be more prevalent today. Why? Because when a culture and a people jettison, kick out, get rid of love for God as the highest love, what replaces it? What replaces it? When a vacuum has been created by kicking out love for God as the greatest good and best love, romantic love steps in and says, I'll step in. I'll take that place of God. Now, I'm not saying today, please hear this. I'm not saying today that romance is bad, love is bad, or attraction is bad. But I'm saying if, like Jacob, you make it your everything, your greatest love, whatever it is, will disappoint you every time. Every time, every time, without a doubt, if you make it your greatest thing. And think about if you do that actually with the, someone of the opposite sex, with somebody you're interested in, whether it's dating or marriage or your spouse, think of the pressure you put on your spouse if they're to be your everything. Jacob is asking Rachel here to bear the weight of his soul. And no human was designed to bear the weight of your soul. Only God can do that. That's what we're getting here with this man. And if you do that with another person, whether it's a spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your grandchildren, whether it's even just a friend, if you do that with another person, you will devastate each other. If you try to make someone, something, your everything. And I go so far to say your greatest marriage problems, as we're talking marriage here today, we're going to be talking quite a bit, but your greatest marriage problems don't come from loving your spouse too little or too much. They come from loving God too little. That's just the way it is. Your greatest marriage problems, in fact, your greatest, all of our greatest problems in life come from loving God too little, not a spouse too much or too little. Jacob's life was absolutely empty, and he wanted meaning. He wanted redemption to get rid of that empty pit in his stomach. He wanted it, and he loaded the deepest needs of his heart on Rachel. And the disappointment comes every time. I want our youth in here to hear me today. Because your culture tells you that the way to significance, meaning, and worth is in the arms of another person. And if you put that at your highest goal in life, it will disappoint you every time and you will crush the person that you bind yourself to. Is that love to be important? Yes. Is a marriage to be your highest personal relationship? Yes. But if you put it above God, you will destroy it every time. Or the other person that you're supposed to say you're actually loving. The disappointment comes. So here's our question. Who or what's become your Rachel? For you. Who or what is your Rachel? That's the question to ask yourself in application today. 
And it doesn't just have to be a person now. That thing that you feel that you've got to have to make life okay. Maybe it's a reputation. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's persuasiveness or power or influence. That thing that will finally make you okay. I want everybody to take a minute, write an answer down. Everybody, we've got pens there. Take a minute. What for you has become your Rachel? Nobody's going to look at it. We may ask you to share it in growth groups later this week, but what is it for you? Take a minute and do that. Well, what happens if you do that? What's the result? What's the outcome? Well, let's look secondly at the deception, the discipline, the devastation, the disillusionment that comes to Jacob's life in our second section today. The deception by Laban is actually the discipline from God that leaves Jacob devastated. Disillusioned, you could put in that in there. Or pick another D word that's negative. So let's move, let's move down in the text to this grand plan of deception of Jacob by, by Laban. There were two sisters. Did you catch that in the story? Rachel, the beautiful one, and Leah, who was weak in eyes. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> what is that all about? Well, it probably doesn't mean she had bad eyesight or it would say, Leah is weak in eyes, and Rachel had strong eyes, right? But it says Rachel's beautiful. So when we hear Leah saying weak eyes, it either means that literally she was maybe cross-eyed, had an eye that didn't work correctly. But at the very least, it means that she wasn't attractive like her sister, at least in the eyes of Jacob and probably others because of what happens in the story. But we're meant to see her as unattractive, and Jacob, as we said, he offers more than three times the bride price in years of service for Rachel, the pretty one. And look at verse 19, Laban's response. It's not, it isn't necessarily a yes. I don't know if he caught that in there. And he says, I'll serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. She's the younger. Leah is the older. And Laban said, it's better that I should give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Do you see that? That's not very straightforward language. He doesn't mention Rachel. He doesn't even say a yes to him. It's almost as if he's covering his tracks for a scheme that's already working with the wheels spinning in his mind. A scheme that's already been plotted. Well, seven years go by, and Laban plans this despicable, elaborate marriage feast, and Jacob begins to reap what he has sown. Let's talk about reaping what we sow. Now we get to the hard providence of Jacob's life. It started really good, didn't it? Running across the field by the well and embracing and kissing and spinning around, lifting her arms and spinning circles. It started like that. But uh, now it's not so much. The man who's head over heels in love with Rachel is given the sister that no one loves. He's given her on his wedding night. Imagine the treachery that went into a plot like this. <clears throat> Laban, the father of these two daughters, how abusive and harsh is that to somehow talk them into this? Because Leah had to be on board with it. She was the one that ended up in the bed. And Rachel was either being held captive somewhere or was in on it too. It's one or the other. She probably wasn't away traveling on her own in that day and age. She's supposed to be there. It was the wedding. We don't know exactly whether she was being held captive or if she was in on it. But what we do know is this. Read verse, let's look at verse 23. Read it with me. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah <clears throat> and he brought her to Jacob and he went into her. It's staggering. It's tragic. It's why it's put so bluntly and simply there. And, and it's just sad for everyone involved. There's just no way around it. This is a sad story and a sad moment in the life of God's people. And in particular for Leah, who we'll get back to in a moment. But we also know this. Jacob was reaping what he had sowed. And God was using this moment. He was actually using Laban. It doesn't excuse Laban's actions at all. 
or Leah or Rachel's actions at all. But God was using Laban, who was Jacob's arch nemesis, to make Jacob reckon with his sin of deceiving his father Isaac. Let's put the stories together now. <clears throat> Jacob's rightly upset. Excuse me, I'm going to take some water. <clears throat> Jacob is rightly upset, wouldn't you agree? On his wedding morning, when he realizes that he slept with his soon-to-be sister-in-law. How'd that happen? Well, do they have electricity? No, it's dark. Tradition was to wear a veil over your face on your wedding night. Probably couldn't see your face. Tradition was also that you probably got pretty drunk on this week-long festival of celebration. You put those three together, many a drunken night has produced some great sexual sin. And that's what we have here. <clears throat> he wakes up, he protests to Laban, which is understandable. Like, he's, you scoundrel, what have you done? I served you for Rachel, not Leah. And look for the clues in Laban's response that this was the hard providence of God. Look at these verses on the screen. <laughs> Jacob responded to Laban in verse 25. Jacob said to, or as Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? We go back in the story of Abraham and Jacob and Esau. And this is what he says to Esau. Your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. It's the exact same word, actually, there that the author has used for, so that we'll see the connection here. See the connection. As, as, as you can hear and see how this uh, deception is coming back on him now as he's reaping what he's sowed. Oh, and in chapter nine, 29, Laban responds to Jacob now when he asks him, why did you do this? I'll tell you why I deceived you. You can hear the irony dripping in his words and from his voice. Laban said, you know, Jacob, it's just not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Yeah, we don't do that here, Jacob. You, you may do that in your neck of the woods, but uh, we don't do that. Here the firstborn comes first. Remember, Jacob's the younger. Esau's the firstborn. Leah's the older Firstborn, and Rachel's the younger. The deceiver has been deceived, is, is what we're saying. What you sow, you will reap, and by switching the birth order. One ancient Hebrew commentator tried to imagine the dialogue between Leah and Jacob on the morning after, when he rolls over, and Jacob says, Leah, I was calling out Rachel's name all last night. Why didn't you say anything? And she could have responded to him, yeah, well, your father was calling out for Esau. Why didn't you say anything to him? This is why Jacob doesn't kill Laban. He's instantly cut to the quick. And he's humbled. And he marries Rachel the next week after the week-long celebration, and he goes back to work for another seven years. That's why he doesn't kill Laban and just take everything from him. He realizes, I'm, I'm, I'm reaping what I've sowed. He realizes evil. He says, you've done the very thing to me that I've done to my father Isaac. In the dark, I thought I was touching Rachel. In the dark, my father thought he was touching Esau. Ouch. It hurts, doesn't it? And it's sad. God is disciplining Jacob through the hard providence now. God is making him painfully aware of his sin, aware of his self-reliance again and, and his scheming to secure the blessing the first time and now with, with Rachel. It's crushing. God may be patient, but you will sow what you reap. The Bible says it in Proverbs and other places and here in stories. He will discipline those he loves. And many times, you know what he does? He uses your arch nemesis or people you just can't wait to get rid of. And sometimes you can't see it and I can't see it, but in those moments when the arch nemesis comes and deceives you, you're actually looking in a mirror like Jacob was with Laban. He's looking in a mirror. 
of a deceiver. Which one's going to outduel and outmatch the other? I was absolutely floored this week by Alan Ross's commentary on this section. I was just stopped dead in my tracks when he said this. If we use the story of Jacob as a sample, we may say that when we are thrown together with people who are crafty, arrogant, deceitful, contentious, gossipy, or a host of other human frailties, before we lament that we have to be around such people, we perhaps should take a look at ourselves. It may be that some of those traits that characterize us too, and that other people may be part of God's means of disciplining us. Sit in that. That is devastating. The possibility that God has you around those annoying, opinionated, arrogant people because you two are just like them. That's what happened to Jacob. And he's going to use them to discipline me, to discipline you by giving you a taste of your own medicine. He loves you enough to not leave you in your sin. Take a look at yourself. Sit in it. Don't turn away from it this morning. Jacob, look at Laban. See yourself in him. Now, the temptation right now is for you to say, is for me to say, as I saw this this week, well, this is about somebody else in the room today. It's about her over there or him over there. Or, oh, man, I wish so-and-so was here today. They really need to hear this, right? (laughs) It's for us today. This Contentious two years, as Lauren prayed when he was up here, has brought out in all of us, all of us, myself included, some of the most self-righteous responses. I'm talking to myself here now. As we have found ourselves around people with different opinions than us, as they've kind of outed themselves in many relationships, you hear about it all over the place, online, in the media, Many relationships, lifelong friendships, families, and churches have been divided by this. And that is the very thing Alan Ross is pointing out. We lament, I cannot believe I have to be around people like this. And so what do we do? What do we do in those moments? Do do we actually ever pause and say, you know what? I need to take a look at myself too. When hard providence happens in my life, I think, there could be no purpose for this. I surely couldn't need this. I think that all the time. And as Ross again said, it may be some of those traits in those annoying people that characterize us. And that other people may be part of God's plan in disciplining us. That doesn't excuse Laban's actions. we got to be clear. But God definitely clearly used them. Jacob is devastated, and he's disillusioned because it was Leah in the morning. His heart was set on Rachel. God used the treacherous acts of Laban to marry off the daughter he knew he never would, and we have to talk for a moment here, and it's sad, and I'm going to frame this, but there's a cosmic level of disappointment here, as it was Leah in the morning. It's so terribly sad Did you catch the simplistic finality of verse 26 when Jacob wakes in the morning? Verse 26. Excuse me, it was verse 25, 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. That's it. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. And his reckoning with his sin begins there. He goes to bed with, with what he thinks is the love of his life, and he rolls over in bed, and the verse just says, Behold, it was Leah in the morning. It's sad. And we should be grieved for both Jacob and Leah in particular. Because Jacob did love Rachel, and now he had sex with his future sister-in-law. And Leah did feel overlooked and unloved her whole life. This cosmic disappointment, Derek Kidner points out and says that this moment right here This moment right here is to point humanity to the cosmic disappointment we've been feeling ever since the garden. 
that it's always Leah in the morning. Now, Leah's going to get her redemption. And, and we're not going to overlook her like everyone else did in her life. She doesn't deserve that. But she is meant here, and Jacob is meant here in this unholy, unexpected surprise union to point us to the fact that everything in life actually always turns out to be Leah in the morning. Let's talk marriage for a minute again. Even if you marry the greatest spouse, even if you feel like you have got the best marriage, they cannot be your everything. You will crush him with that weight. You will crush her with that weight. Or, or, or the grand trip you're, you're, you're wanting to go on when things get back to whatever normal is. Or the new rifle you finally got. The new car. The new spouse the new person you're dating, the college acceptance you got, the career you got. If you wanted to do for you what only God for, can do for you, it will always be Leah in the morning. All of it. Every bit of it. So here's our question. Who for you is your Leah? Who for you is your Laban? That hard person, people, group that God has put in your life? So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do with these desires that we want filled when we do find this disillusionment and devastation as Jacob did? Tim Keller says some things on the passage that were helpful for me this week as I was looking at how he handled it. He said we respond four ways to this kind of situation which, where we feel disillusionment where we feel discouragement, where we feel devastation when, when, our, when our Leah, when our Rachel has, has, has let us down or when we see ourselves in the face of a Laban who's being used by God to discipline us. Uh, th as we go through these, think about which one you have chosen in the last two years. And we've all had contentious things happen. Here's the first, he said. Our first response is we either blame the things or the person and we drop them. Alan Ross, you know, his, like his quote, I can't believe I have to be around this person or these people or that group of people. I am better than this. I am better than this. So the first response, we drop them. We blame them. We put it on them, our own internal stuff. It's, it's their fault when we drop them. Second one, here's the second way we respond. We blame ourselves. We beat ourselves up. Everyone else is happy right now, and I'm not happy. I just, it's got to be something I've done. So we beat ourselves up. That's the second response. First, we drop them or those people. I can't believe I'm not like them. The second one is we beat ourselves up. Everyone else is happy. Or third, we just blame the world <laughs> or the government. <laughs> Kate Brown's an easy target for all our miseries, isn't she? <laughs> or lots of people have blamed their church lately. I can't tell you how many pastors and elder boards and churches are going through this right now. Lots of people have blamed the church lately. We're an easy, soft target because we're called to respond in gentleness and love. You get cynical. Somebody gets cynical and hard and they say, I I'm just done with all women, right? I'm just done with all men. I'm just done with that church or I'll find a better friend or a better family. Blame the world that God has put us in. I can't believe I have to be around people like that. I'm better than that. That's three ways. Or we can go the fourth way, the way that Leah ultimately goes. Let's look at it, because this is the way I want us all to go. All of us, whether we're here, whether we're at home, all of us watching today. Leah learns the secret of a love that meets its own demands. Verses 31 to 35 are so incredibly sad. It's even almost more sad. It's actually more sad than it rolls over and it's lay in the morning. So here Leah now is married now to this man, Jacob, who doesn't love her. And now her sister is married to him too. And a quick side note. Maybe here today and you're hearing this story and you're going like, I can't get anything from this story. Look how the Bible lets women be treated. Well, let me tell you. Polygamy in the Bible is never condoned, ever. From Genesis 1, it's always 
meant to be one man and one woman. And Jesus reiterated that in the Gospels. And every time, every single time polygamy is portrayed, it reveals the devastating effects of it on the women, on the men. The text is here. It's being, it's being um, intentionally subversive. Does it go well for this family? No. Polygamy is part of the problem here. It's never meant to be portrayed positively, and disaster is always involved, but it takes a while for Leah to learn that too. Let's look at her misplaced hopes now. Let's look at hers. What does she do? So here's what we got here. We've kind of got both. We've got the liberal. We've got the conservative here today. Jacob is, the, is uh, today, we call him the liberal. Give me the sex. Give me the woman. That's going to fulfill my life. Let me do my thing. Here now, Leah, we've got the conservative. If I just get a family, kids and a husband, I'll go the traditional route. You've got both here today, ending up being empty and not ultimately fulfilling. If I can just have some family, just have some kids, then my husband will love me. Misplaced hopes again. Now, I'm not saying rearing children Enjoying them and your husband is not godly. It is, but Leah's doing it in a level like, ja uh, like Jacob was with Rachel. Like Jacob with Rachel, or, or like Isaac was, remember, with Esau? He knew Jacob was supposed to get the blessing, and yet he's obsessively uh, obsessed with Isaac, or with Esau. So many names, I'm getting them all confused. Isaac was with Esau. <laughs> she really is the girl, Leah, that, that nobody wants. And yet she so desperately wants to be somebody by having somebody love her. Do you see the names of her first three sons there? Did you catch that? Reuben's first. His name means to see. And she says, well, now my husband will see me and I won't be invisible. This is why it's so sad. Simeon is next, which means hearing. Well, maybe Jacob will now actually listen to me and hear my voice too. And Levi, which sounds like the Hebrew word for attachment. Maybe now I've got three sons. Maybe now he'll cling to me instead of Rachel. Maybe if I have babies, my husband will finally love me and I'll be somebody in this world. But after three children, she couldn't meet the demands of that love that she so desperately wanted. Every day she woke up to see he didn't love her, and he loved her sister. Can you imagine that? Maybe you can. You pro so probably some of you can. Your circumstances obviously weren't the same probably with a sister. But I'm sure some of you can imagine that type of loneliness, that type of, of exile, that type of uh, rejection. Let's look and see what God does for her. Because we're not going to leave Leah there this morning like Jacob did. He becomes for her a true husband. It's really interesting, but she calls God Yahweh here, which is the word for the personal God. She says, Yahweh will save me through my childbearing. She doesn't call him Elohim, which is like the generic term for God. She calls him Yahweh, the personal God, Yahweh, which probably Jacob had something to do with, teaching her about who Yahweh was. But she calls him Yahweh, the God who comes down the ladder. Remember him? The God who comes down the ladder in grace to us, not a God we have to work up to, but a God that comes to us, which he does with Leah. Do you know why? Because we see that he sees the unlovable one. He sees the ugly duckling. And it's exactly the one he sets his love upon. Do you see that in the story? A God who doesn't accept you on your performance, but upon someone else's, upon Jesus Christ's performance for you. He loves the unlovable. Do you know that? In fact, he's attracted to the unlovable. Look at Jacob when he's asleep there in his lowest point in life. He had his greatest vision of God. And now so too Leah. Yahweh who fulfills us. Yahweh who will fill that void in your heart. But she doesn't quite have it yet, does she? She doesn't quite have it yet. She's saying, Yahweh can help me save myself through childbearing. She's partially there. 
Yahweh can help me save myself if I just have another child, if I just have two, if I just have three, then my husband will love me. Yahweh can help me save myself by getting my husband's love, is what she's saying. So she's using God, and yet she still does not call him Elohim, but Yahweh. So she she knows him on some level personally, but she's still treating him like a cosmic butler. I need this. But then something happens in her. Look at verse 35. Something Something had to happen here. And she conceived again, that's the fourth time, and bore a son and said, this time I'll praise Yahweh. This time I'll praise Yahweh. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing children. This time I'll praise Yahweh. No mention of Jacob now. No mention of him at all. God had done something in her heart. He'd done something in her heart. The good things, my husband, my kids that I've been making into ultimate things, when I stop that and stop making them try to be everything and just actually give my heart to God, what happens? She's transformed from the inside out. She becomes a new person here, a brand new create creature. I'm going to just praise Yahweh with this one. She's been transformed by his grace because he's now going to meet her deepest hopes. He is now going to meet her deepest dreams and longings. She's been transformed, and now she realizes she doesn't have to be beautiful to get somebody to love her now. God loves her, and because of that, she's beautiful. That's what she gets now that she didn't before. And so she turned her heart to the one true husband we all need, even the men in here. This is the one you need too. It's weird to think about the love we need from another man, Jesus, or God as father, but you need it just as much as the women in here. This time I'll praise Yahweh. He's so good to her. But there's more. There's even more here. Let's talk about the fulfillment of the son to wrap it up today. What's the name of that fourth child? Let me hear you say it. What is it? Judah. The name of that fourth child is Judah. Maybe you said it at home too. Who will come from that line? No other than Jesus Christ, right? No other than Jesus Christ. So God chooses the girl nobody loved, the outcast, the overlooked, again for his grace to shower upon. Leah becomes the mother of Jesus, not Rachel. Leah becomes the mother of Jesus. This is the gospel. That's the gospel right there. When Jesus comes to earth, he comes as a son, just like his mother, Leah. Think about it. Born in a dirty manger for you. Despised, rejected, a man of sorrows for you. How do we esteem him? Stricken. And guess what Isaiah also says? Was he much to look at? He was not. He was not a very attractive man. No beauty to attract us to him, Isaiah writes. He had weak eyes too, huh? And guess what? Salvation actually came through the weakness. It came through the weak eyes. And when they led him outside the town to be crucified, guess what? Nobody wanted to take his hand. Nobody wanted to own him. Nobody wanted to marry him, that's for sure, in that moment. Nobody wanted to receive him. Even his own people turned their backs on him. Even his own father in that moment on the cross which means he knows exactly what you've been through. Exactly. Exactly what Leah had been through. And it means that by grace you can be saved. Not your performance, not your record, not the eye candy on your arm. No. And it also means this. You may have entirely blown up your life like these people have (laughs) and feel like you're always just not going to be on God's best plan for your life. There's a plan B and I'm on plan B now and plan A is gone. Do you realize? Could there, this is plan Z here in Genesis 29. <laughs> this is not B. This is Z. And God is using it for his grace and glory. 
God redeemed the mess. He will redeem your mess. He will redeem your children's mess and maybe even your grandchildren's mess. How about the marriages in this room? If you get this and grasp this, that in some ways it's always Leah in the morning, you'll be able to actually relax in your marriage and actually live in love. And actually the paradox is you'll love your spouse better if you don't put them first. That's the crazy thing. You really want to love your spouse, love God more. You will love your spouse better than you are now. Finally, for all of us today, do you see what we have in this? And what a broken, desperate world needs this message? There are people out there looking for their Rachel. Some of our youth in here are thinking, if I could just have my Rachel, if I could just have my Jacob, life would be okay. This Jacob's pretty good, though. I love that Jacob. <laughs> Ladies. Looking for that thing. Or, 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 or Laban. They're in the face of their Laban who's just trying to scheme and squeeze and get another ounce of meaning out of life through these things. Another Rachel, another Leah. And people in life just trying to squeeze that out of life. And we have it. You have it. It's Jesus, the son of Leah, the savior of the world. Let's pray. Christ, this is your people and they are a mess. And yet you chose to bless them. You chose to save them. You chose to work through them. And that gives every person in this room hope today. It doesn't excuse Laban. It doesn't excuse Jacob or their actions, Lord. But God in heaven, you can work through the mess. And Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to come as the son of Leah. It would have been your prerogative to say, I'm coming through the pretty line. But that's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is humble, sacrificial, service, and sometimes even rejection. So Jesus, when we meet those places, when we meet our Laban, when we wake up, turn over and it's lay in the morning, Spirit, will you let that be a moment where we suffer as if Christ has suffered too, because he has. But Lord Jesus, resurrection is coming too. Someday everything will look like Rachel. Beautiful, loving, perfect. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.